uh, to have so many faithful brothers and sisters join us in leading in this ministry. And Randy and Kendra, you've been leading our children's choir for for many years, 10, 12, 13 years here at Woodlawn, and I was really encouraged by their, by their singing today. Thank you guys for that. Let me extend my voice to that of uh, the welcome this morning. We're grateful for your presence with us. If you're visiting with us this morning, it is our habit here at Woodlawn to take books of the Bible and to preach through those books of the Bible. For we believe that God has equally spoken in each of those books of the Bible. And if we want to know who is God, we can know him through his word. And so we give our time and attention to the preaching of God's word. This morning, we continue our study through the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 19. As we complete our time in Exodus chapter 19 and next Sunday, begin our study of the incarnation of Christ together, and then pick up at the beginning of the year back in Exodus. And next year, we're going to make our way through the Ten Commandments. We're going to take each of those Ten Commandments and do a single sermon on each of those Ten Commandments, and then make it all the way through the Book of the Covenant, which takes us through chapter 24. And then we're going to make our way to the New Testament. And there are two passages of Scripture, as we think on the law, that give us pause. First is Romans chapter 10, verse 14, when, uh, chapter 10, verse 4, when Paul writes that Jesus is the end of the law. What does it mean for Jesus to be the end of the law? And then we're going to make our way back to the Sermon on the Mount and spend uh, seven, eight sermons on the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus there in Matthew chapter 5 makes a number of statements concerning the law. What does it mean that Jesus has come to fulfill the law? What did Jesus mean when he uh, re-images for us the Ten Commandments, when he said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, any man that looks upon another woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery. How do we, as New Testament believers, live in light of the law of God? So we're going to spend time together next year reflecting specifically on the Ten Commandments and then looking at how Jesus and the writers of the New Testament understand that law. Today in Romans chapter 9, sorry, Romans 19. There's not even a Romans 19. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, we conclude this beginning of this Sinai experience on behalf of God's people. Here in chapter 19, verses 16 through 25, the narrative of Moses actually going up on the mountain and the people hearing from the Lord commences. And here, in this passage of Scripture, God reminds Moses and his people, God reminds Moses and the children of Israel that his invitation to hear from God, his invitation to worship, That's what an invitation to hear from God is. It's an invitation to worship. It's an invitation grounded in the fear of God. You'll remember last week that the Lord gave very specific 
instructions to the nation of Israel in terms of how they were to interact with God here at Mount Sinai. He set some parameters for them, you might remember. He told them what they could do and what they could not do, how close they could come to the mountain, what they could do when they got to the mountain, such as you can't even touch the mountain. And as Israel has now heard from God and what God expects in terms of their response to him, we now enter into this passage of Scripture in which the nation of Israel is going to hear from God, the almighty maker of the heavens and the earth. Look what happens here in verses 16 through 20. God reveals himself and his people respond in fear. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. So that all the people, we might say, had fear. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kill, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and the Bible says, Moses went up. Here, the nation of Israel is going to learn an important lesson as it relates to their relationship with God, and that is God is powerful and he is not to be treated lightly. We have a number of images in this text of Scripture that might cause us some pause, like, wow, you know, I wish I could have been there in that moment and seen the thunder and and seen the lightning, and, and perhaps you're thinking, Pastor, why don't we like... Mimic that this morning in our worship. Put some fog machines up here and, and, and beat the drums really loudly. And maybe we could have that experience too in hearing from the Lord. Uh, all of these images in this passage of Scripture, look again at verse 16, for example. And on the third day there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud. And then notice again verse 18. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in in fire. Verse 19, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. All of these images are a theophany, an indication that God is indeed revealing himself in a unique way to his people, and we ultimately know what the purpose of this revelation is. God is going to give to his people a very specific law that indicates how they are to live in right relationship with him. And God is performing this revelation, if you will, in some of the most miraculous ways. In fact, it's 
So the nation of Israel can indeed know for sure, know for certain. You'll remember from last week, there was an indication on behalf of the people. They too wanted to ensure in some way that they were indeed hearing from God. And there's no doubt that one cannot walk away from this experience and understand that they've heard from anyone else other than God himself, the almighty maker of the heavens and the earth. God is revealing himself in might and in power. And notice what it creates among God's people. God's revealing himself in this way creates fear among his people. Notice twice in this text of scripture, we have this indication of the fear of God's people. Verse 16, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then look again at the end of of, uh, verse 18, and it's not only here that the people tremble, but now the Bible tells us that that the entire mountain trembled, and the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. There's an indication from this text of Scripture that all of God's creation is rightly responding to him in worship. Friends, this is an image of which we get from the book of Romans. When Paul writes in Romans about the depravity of humanity and the hope of the return of Christ, and he reminds us that even at this moment, creation itself is groaning out in response, hoping for the deliverance that Christ will bring even to the earth. So not only does humanity wait in response for this revelation of Christ's return, but so does all of creation. And this is the same image here. All of creation, humanity, and everything that God has created is rightly responding to God himself with fear. And what do we know about fear? What does scripture teach us about fear? We learn from Proverbs, for example, that fear is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Look with me in your Bibles to several uh, Proverbs as we reflect on this idea of fear. And let's look first together in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And from Proverbs 3, we'll go to Proverbs 8 and then to Proverbs 10. Proverbs 3, verses 7 and eight. Proverbs three, verses seven and eight. Be not wise in your own eyes, but do what? Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. By the way, there's The wisdom of this proverb is gained from the experience of Israel at Mount Sinai. The Lord has reminded the children of Israel at Mount Sinai what they can rightly do in response to him and the benefit that it will yield if they they rightly come before the Lord and worship him. They're going to get what? The revelation of God, the full revelation of God, they're going to learn how to rightly live in relationship with God. But if they come too close, 
If they violate the standards that God has set for the worship of Himself, what will happen to them? They'll die. They'll perish. And this is the wisdom that this passage of Scripture builds upon. Look with me at Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. What does a right fear of God instill in the hearts and lives of those who by faith have trusted in him? A hatred of evil. Might it be that the reason there is such little distinction between the church and the world, might it be because we as God's people, we in the church, don't have a right fear of God? Like the nation of Israel, we're not really sure that God literally means you can't touch this mountain. We're not sure that God literally means that you can't come this close to this mountain. We indeed love to test the Lord. Look at Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life but the years of the wicked will be short. See, friends, there's great wisdom in you and I rightly walking before the Lord. There's great wisdom. There's great benefit to you and to me as we rightly bow in humble submission to the Lord in worship. And this is exactly what God is calling the nation of Israel to do here. He's calling the nation of Israel to hear from him, and our hearing from God is indeed worship. It's the beginning of worship. And God takes that moment in which he invites you and me to come near to him and worship so that we might do what? Hear from the Lord. How do we hear from the Lord? We hear from the Lord through His Word. God has completely revealed to you and to me. God has made final revelation for your life and my life, for the life of this church through the giving of his word to us. And we know how to rightly respond to God. We know how to rightly worship the Lord. We know how to rightly live in relationship with one another. How? Through the word of God. And the people experience this encounter with God and not only they, but creation responds in fear. Is this an indication of your life today? Woodlawn, can this be said of us today? If God were 
writing a book about Woodlawn's relationship with him, would he reflect on our response as one that is right, one that is filled with, with awe and, and fear? It's interesting, Exodus chapter 19, God has given the children of Israel, he's spoken to them very clearly what they are to do. And now we come to Exodus chapter 19, verses 21, to the end of the chapter. And remember, Israel has just heard this. It's not like God told them this five years ago and, and perhaps they've forgotten. It's not like God told them this a year ago and, and they've wondered for a little bit and, and they've forgotten. God has just revealed this revelation to them. He's just communicated to them how they are to live rightly before him and this worship of him at Mount Sinai. But look what happens here in verses 21 through 25. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate, consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. Now you gotta think you're Moses here. Moses is not necessarily a, a spring chicken, is he? He's, he's up in age. He's already gone up this mountain at least once, if not twice. Perhaps here in this text of Scripture in verse 21, he's up the mountain now for the second time, and look what God says to him. Moses, go back down the mountain and remind the people what you've already reminded them. Several years ago, a group of us were in Israel, and a few of us decided to walk up the side of Masada. And Masada is only like 1,700 feet. So you're not talking about this large trek up a mountain, right? And I can promise you, after climbing the 1,700 feet, this very fit guy was completely wore out and almost dead. And I image, in my mind at least, Moses was a very fit man like me, and you know, a trip up the mountain, no big deal. Two trips up the mountain? <sighs> a third trip up the mountain? Lord, you, you've lost your mind, what are you doing? And so even Moses protests a little bit here. Moses, look at verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, God, these people already know your standard of holiness. The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Moses is like, Lord, are you sure? Notice the emphatic nature of this statement. God, you yourself, 
You've already told us this. What's God's response to Moses? I think God's response to Moses is the same response of Jesus to the people in the Gospel of John. John begins with this great declaration of who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then immediately John begins for us the earthly ministry of Jesus, and we come to Cana at the beginning of John chapter 2. And there in Cana, Jesus performs what we believe to be his first recorded miracle. He turns the water into wine. The Bible says that there are a lot of people that, quote, believe in Jesus. But we get to the end of John chapter 2, and John gives us this editorial. John lets us into the thoughts of Jesus, and John writes these words, but Jesus on his behalf did not entrust himself to the people, for he knew what was in their hearts. God, God the Father, like God the Son, knows exactly what is in your heart and what is in my heart. He knows exactly what we're thinking and what we're not thinking. And the Lord knows that his people need to be reminded on a regular basis of what it means to rightly walk with him. You can imagine Moses, Lord, you just told us this. It was just two or three days ago. You yourself said it. All the people believe, God, that you said it. They're not doubting me. They, they believe you, I promise. Let's, let's get on with this, Lord. And look what happens, verse 24. And the Lord said to him, sorry, buddy, go down and come up bringing Aaron with, with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. See this text in verses 21 through 25, God reminds his people of the seriousness of their being his people. Moses, I want you to go back down there, and I want you to remind them yet again of exactly what I have communicated to them. And then the Bible reveals a few things that perhaps cause some of us to pause for a moment and scratch our heads. Come back to verse 24. And the Lord said to him, go down and bring up Aaron with you, but do not let the what? Now time out. What chapter in Exodus are we? Well, when do we get all of this indication of the priesthood? When do we get the rules of the priesthood? 
Have you seen any rules concerning the priesthood? We completed a, a little uh, last year around this time, we completed a journey through the book of Genesis. Do you, you remember any statements in Genesis about the formation of a priesthood? No specific statements, but there are some indications along the way that God has indeed tasked people among the nation of Israel to lead Israel in worship. We might could even form a theology of the priesthood before we get to uh, the revelation of that in, in these latter chapters of the book of Exodus, that God has indeed led a number of of men in the life of ancient Israel to teach the people what it is to rightly worship him. For example, as the children of Israel were down in Egypt in enslavement, we might wonder, who taught the nation of Israel about God? God calls Moses, tasks Moses with the responsibility of going to Pharaoh, and do you remember what Moses is to say to Pharaoh when he arrives? Why, is, why are the people to be led out of Egypt and into the wilderness? So that they might do what? So they might worship. Perhaps even an indication with inside that call for the nation of Israel to step outside of Israel and, and worship. How would Israel even know what they're to do in worship? So there seems to be from this passage of Scripture, an indication that along the way, God has indeed instructed, given insight to, called himself a group of, of men who would serve as, as priests. For sure, we see Moses has already been functioning in this way in the life of, of ancient Israel. And ultimately, when we get to the Aaronic uh, priesthood, it's, it's ultimately a call for Aaron to function in a very specific way in the tent of meeting. So we get a revelation from the Lord, and there's an indication that Aaron has some leadership. Bring Aaron with you, but don't let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord lest he break out against them. There's an indication even from this text of Scripture that in some, some way Aaron was already functioning as a leader among the priests of God. But now, for the second time, the people are reminded of the seriousness of being God's people. See, the communication of what God expects from his people in this passage of Scripture in some ways is radically different than the expression that we hear from contemporary American evangelicalism. God isn't calling his people in this passage of Scripture, for example, if you come to me, you can be satisfied and healthy and wealthy, is he? If you come to me, you can have everything that you want. Just, just come to Jesus. Just, just believe in God, and life will be so simple for you. No, God is calling to himself a people, and in that revelation, God is reminding them 
of just how serious it is to be called the people of God. To be the people of God, we must live and respond to God in the way that He has determined and decided. We must live and respond to God in the parameters that He has laid out for us. And when we do so, the right fear of God is expressed. Notice these warnings again. I've set boundaries for you. But if you violate those boundaries, the Lord is going to break out against them. He is going to be this all-consuming fire against them. We just completed our journey through the book of Exodus today. Did you enjoy, sorry, Hebrews. We just completed Hebrews in Sunday school. Did you enjoy Hebrews in Sunday school? You've just covered this passage of Scripture. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 pits for us this narrative at Sinai against the covenant that we experience today. By the way, take a time out for me. Hold your fingers. Hold your fingers in, X, in Hebrews chapter 12, okay? But um, give me just a pause for a moment. God is setting before his people an expectation of what it looks like to rightly worship God. And it begs the question that we hear recorded for us in Psalm chapter in Psalm chapter 24, who can come into the presence of God? Do you remember what the psalmist wrote? Psalm 24, verses 3 through 4. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Jesus asks a question this way on the, in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, who can see God? He who has a pure heart. Who can rightly enter into worship? The one who walks in holiness before God, the one who responds rightly to God. Who can see God? The one who has lived rightly before him. And this is what Moses is depicting for us in this passage of Scripture. It matters how we approach God in worship, and God is calling you and me as his people to come before him as a holy people. But we can't come before him in holiness in and of ourselves, can we? And so we come to Hebrews chapter 12. And we hear these words, first beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. 
Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which, what? No one can see the Lord. And then watch him as he compares and contrasts the old covenant with the new covenant. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. Does that sound familiar? What is the writer of Hebrews reflecting on? Exodus chapter 19. And Israel's encounter with God at Sinai. Verse 20, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. We get that statement from Deuteronomy as Moses reflected on the encounter of Exodus chapter 19 and 20. But you, verse 22, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in a festal gathering, and and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that speaks a better word than did Abel. And then notice this God who speaks, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And what's the, what's the contrast here? God came down on top of Mount Sinai and on earth gave a spoken word to the nation of Israel. Did the nation of Israel ultimately obey the voice of God? No. Did they face judgment? Yes. If the nation of Israel who heard from God on earth faced judgment because they violated the holiness of God, how much more, how greater shall you and I face a judgment when we have heard from the God of heaven? And the indication is here, God has sent his one and only son, Jesus, who was from heaven, and he left heaven, and he came to earth. And what did Jesus communicate? The gospel of the kingdom of God. And what did the gospel of the kingdom of God call us to? Holiness. We've heard from God on earth. We've heard from God in heaven. Verse 26, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have not been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. 
Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship and with reverence and awe, with, with reverent awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. See, friends, the way in which God communicates with His people changes. God is not coming down on top of a mountain today and speaking to you and me through fire and thunder and lightning. However, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that God who was a consuming fire that manifested Himself on Mount Sinai is the same God today who will one day reveal himself finally and completely, and in doing so, that revelation will be the same God who is a God that is one of a consuming fire. And what does that fire do? It purifies and it judges. See, that's what God did on Mount Sinai as he reveals himself as this consuming fire, he says to the nation of Israel, hey, come to me. Come close to me. Come and hear my voice. Come and receive my revelation. Come and live rightly before me. And in doing so, that consuming fire purifies and it makes holy and it cleanses and it forms the nation of Israel to be the holy people that God desires. But while that consuming fire simultaneously purifies, that consuming fire judges. And did you hear what that consuming fire said to the nation of Israel camped at Sinai? If you don't follow my standards of holiness, you will perish. And friends, that consuming fire is coming again in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus comes again, he will do for his new covenant people what God did for his old covenant people at Mount Sinai. He will finally and completely and totally purify us. We call that glorification. But for all those who have rejected God's standards of holiness... He will judge through fire. Friend, are you ready for that moment? Have you made preparation for that day? Are you regularly being reminded of what God's standards of holiness are? Moses had to go back down the mountain to tell the people yet again, and you and I can go back to that same mountain, the Word of God, and daily, moment by moment, be refreshed in our hearts and our lives and be reminded of what God expects of you and me. Or, will you experience that God who has judged who will completely, totally consume with fire all those who have rejected his standard of holiness 
Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for the revelation of, your, of yourself to us through your word. We thank you that you have granted to us your word and given to us Jesus, in whom we have found life and that life more abundantly. We thank you, God, that you have clearly articulated to us your standard of holiness in calling us to worship you. And we ask, God, that as your people, you would indeed enable us to rightly walk in holiness before you. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and reflect on the preaching of God's word? Would you ask yourself today, am I walking in holiness? Are you rightly following God this morning, friend? In those areas in your life in which you're not, would you just take a moment and confess those to the Lord? Acknowledge your sin before Him. And ask that all-consuming fire to purify your heart. Friend, perhaps you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ and in Christ alone. Perhaps you're anticipating and expecting that on your own goodness, on your own merit, in some measurable way that God might look upon you and, and extend His grace and His mercy. Perhaps you're anticipating that you can be righteous and in a different standard other than that which God has laid before us. And today... God, by His Spirit, has convicted you of your need to trust in Him. Would you confess your sin before the Lord now and call on the name of the Lord to save you? In just a moment, we're going to stand and respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing. Friend, as we stand to sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. If you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, as we sing, you can come forward and he or I would be glad to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to walk forward and talk to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated around you, for there are plenty of people seated around you that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Perhaps you'd like for one of us just to pray with you that indeed, indeed the truths of this word might be evident in your life. Perhaps you desire to grow in holiness. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you in that way. And thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is a church in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with Christ this would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. God, as we respond to you now, we ask that our responses might be pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?